The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Are you finally situated? Yeah, I'm getting there. I swear, Josh and I are already ready to go. We've been waiting. I forgot to put my phone on Do Not Disturb. Kim, you just let us know when you're ready to go. This is your show. We're just here to watch. Exactly. Don't ever forget this is my show. (laughs) Don't ever forget it. Okay, I'm I'm good. I'm a cutter. I think I'm a cutter. <laughs> you can cut me. She gets a couple people on Instagram. I that, know. that say her name. Kim's the best. It's suddenly it's her show. Exactly. She, she needs extra time to get ready, guys. Okay, so I'm finally on the website now, right? Now we need. He to, who giveth can taketh away. Now we need to get me on the mystery machine, Tesla. Won't you add yourself to that image, Kim? gonna do that figure it out you expect me to do it don't you well no because i know you don't do it you have somebody else do it (laughs) but then you expect me to have somebody else do it you see how this works i do Mm -hmm. anytime kim needs something done Mm -hmm. she has me do it but who is the assistant here kim not me, I'm producer, producer Kim. Kim. <laughs> I knew that was going to bite us in the butt one day. <laughs> we give her a title and suddenly, I'm surprised she's not wearing a crown yet. I have one in that chair over there. I believe that, Josh. I believe you have a crown over in that chair. I have, I have several. I, I know people won't be able to see me, but I'll find that sucker and wear it on and mask. <laughs> well, when I recorded my other one, I was I tried to like wiggle it in my headphones but it kept falling Mm. i tried first world problems i know when the crown just won't fit i know but our blankets our golden girl blankets that you got us can i'm gonna have to bring me a blanket i think you you know what i like about the blanket it's so nice and comfortable it is and it like makes me comfortable it makes me feel like we're sitting around just telling a good story which i mean (laughs) we're sitting around telling a good story but I really wish that it was a weighted blanket. Mm. Like, I can't... Those give me like, anxiety. No, I love it. It makes me feel trapped. I don't know if I told you this already, but I went to the dentist, and they put on one of those weighted bib oh, things yeah, those, mm-hmm. for, because they were doing an x-ray. Oh, yeah. And they went to go take that sucker off, and I was like, uh, can you just leave that on for the rest of this <laughs> cleaning, please? And she's like, no, they're too hard to clean, so we have to take it off. And I was like... Just throw it away when you're done. I don't care what you do with that. I, I, I need it on me now. Put it on me. Yeah, See, it was so I'm, nice. I'm the opposite. If I have those things on, I feel like I'm pinned down or something. I don't I don't like, like it. you're being choked, Kim. You don't like that? I do not like being <laughs> choked, no. If I'm gonna be restrained, it better be leather. I'm using a blanket. <laughs> when you guys went to Europe this past summer, I Rich. Rich. Right. I'm gonna say that before Josh. Wait, does. where's your fan? I, it's somewhere. 
<laughs> and you even got it just for that reason. I know. Well, no, I have several. But I tidied up your house for you. You know, anytime someone goes on a long trip, I think, oh, what better than to come home to right. like a house ready for you? And I went to make your bed. I didn't know you had the heaviest yeah. of weighted blankets. And it was literally the heaviest I could find. Oh and it's a California King size blanket. I like drug it off the bed and I went to go pick it up. I was like, it <laughs> took me like, I was out of breath by the I'm time. I'm surprised I it didn't take you with it when you went, you know, tried to go like that. I'm surprised you just didn't go head over here. I'm like, I think I videoed it actually <sighs> because it was comical. Like I was laughing uh, at myself. I'm like, am I weak or is this just so heavy? But do you know, I, I don't know if you've ever used a weighted blanket, but it, it keeps so much warmth in. And at night I can seriously turn down the heat in the winter because of how much heat it retains. It's so nice. No, I've got I, a I chihuahua. She'd get trapped. <laughs> she, oh, it would crush her. It would crush her. She's too little. I mean, it's seriously really, no, really it, heavy. it was. <laughs> I got yeah. Emily one one year, and she loves hers, but I tried putting it on me one day, and I'm like, yeah. my anxiety just won't. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. I wish it was a little heavier. Good Lord. Like, sometimes I will double it up. You know, like cut it in half and double you it up. sleep under rocks. <laughs> oh my God. In a cave. Crush me. But you really are a Nathan. How do you say it? Neanderthal. Neanderthal. That's it. So speaking of Kim being choked, anytime, Kim, why don't you tell our listeners, why don't you tell our listeners what you say to people when they follow you real closely behind, you know, when you're driving and they follow you real closely? Ride your tail. Yeah, when they ride mm-hmm. your when tail. Ride. What, what do you, what I do always, you say? I always yell, if you're going to get that close, at least pull my hair and call me, bitch. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> you need that on a bumper sticker. Yeah, you mm-hmm. do. You should. I do. You should. And then at the end, just say, listen to my podcast. That's similar to when I know I'm about ready to be screwed over by somebody. I usually stop them like, oh, pardon me. Do you care if I put some lipstick on first? I like to feel pretty when I'm about to get effed <laughs> I, I got that from south park it's not an original <laughs> i like that i never I like liked to feel south park. Pre- i here and there it's not like family guy i could watch all day i can't but do that south park some of them are funny but i can't do raunchy cartoons oh i love them rick and so morty weird. you know i don't like them either i never have gotten into them oh i love it rick and morty's horrible even for me some of them i'm like Ooh, this is almost too far, but it's so funny. <laughs> but I'm going to keep watching right. it. Kim, did you see on our Patreon, we have reached 10 new Patreons who have commented. You can so that, see the I excitement think I need to in face. So if you move your head a little bit behind you, there is a certain Ouija board yeah. that I gave you on our you podcast birthday. And that thing is going to be opened at our little sleepover at your mm-hmm. house. When are we going to do it? And we figured out that there is a live feature on Patreon. Oh, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. We figured it out? I told you to do figure it out. Do you have a mouse in your pocket? <laughs> I do. Her name is Kim, and she texted me and told me she figured it out. She has so little, Shane. Just give it to her. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, that's why I, now I need to be on the logo, too. There needs oh to be. You give a She's mouse a cookie. You literally mm. give a mouse a cookie. <laughs> Omg. She ain't gonna be happy till you know, she's in these seats. Kim, at the same time. No, I like these. Here's seats. the I like thing. You haven't even paid attention because you are on the logo. You just haven't noticed. There's a little turd at the bottom. 
right there. <laughs> you, don't, you don't see yourself in the back seat? No. It's because you're too short. You can't see yourself yes. behind me. You can just make out the tip of the But thing. you're you're there in that logo. Thoughts. It's not my fault you're too short. She's there in thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and <laughs> prayers, Kim. Thoughts and prayers. Oh, we love you, Kim. I don't like it. You know, after we do the live thing at your house, I can bring my Switch over. You know what we can play? You know what talent I have? Mm. Mario Kart. I am so good at Mario Kart, guys. I can't even come close to him in Mario Kart. I am unbelievably good at it. If there was ever when we had to put money down on something, we could put money down on me winning it. I'd put money on that. Yeah. I'm really good at you it. You beat me, I get but frustrated. I've played twice, so I mean, that's not a, a big accomplishment. <laughs> and there's no way for me to cheat, so it's not like I'm cheating to win. Well, see, you know what brought this up, right? We have an old friend, and he went to Shane's house the other night. It's and true. I'm sure they were playing Mario oh, Kart. We were. And that just reminded him how good he was at it. it and that's exactly what happened. Exactly. I won all the races but one of them. I can grow a vegetable garden. <laughs> raise chickens i can arrange flowers and make a pretty wreath i can do that but it's that's just i've not done it much but it's one of those stereotypical gay things i'm really good at flower arrangements and i don't know why <laughs> i love to do it it's fun it is i like to be a florist mm-hmm. that would be a treat not all the time but here i've only since amber's passed away which it's 11 years I've only bought flowers for her twice. I've made them the whole rest of the time. Those are—they're always really pretty. Mm -hmm. I like how you decorate. One of my favorite photos of Amber was when she was smelling that one flower. Mm -hmm. I took that. That was right before she died, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. That you went on. You guys went on a little photo shoot, wasn't it? Well, sort of. We went to south of Indianapolis, Franklin, Frankton someplace south of Indianapolis for a wedding. Mm. Um, my cousin was getting married and we got there pretty far in advanced. And Amber says, Hey, we're all dressed up. Let's go on a photo shoot. It's not wasting <laughs> so, dress clothes. Yeah. They got married and right outside of a rose garden. Mm. So I took a few pictures over there and those were the last ones I took over. Yeah. Isn't that the picture that you normally take into schools whenever you talk? Mm. No, no. The one that I take into schools was actually done she might have been 16 uh, it's a it, it wasn't a the most recent well wait a minute it was done at that same time she does have that same dress yeah i thought so mm-hmm. i forgot about that yeah kim's getting the timers she is memory what at it used that to age, be bless her okay. heart it's been, well, been a hot minute ago and i'm getting old we're we getting know. up there we know, Kim. We know. Got three kinds of under eye cream on today. <laughs> so when I come in the office, the cold weather, walking into the hot office always makes my eyes water. And Shane's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying not to waste this eye cream. It costs too much to just run down my face. Or now I know that he is writing his bless your heart and he's just lying over what he's writing about. Mm-hmm. As you wrote one about our grandma the other day and you were just... Over there trying to be all dry-eyed. Oh, walking I was like, through I the didn't office. lie about Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I excluded stuff. <laughs> grandma would beat the crap out of you I if know. you were lying about her. That's the one thing we would get a whooping for growing up was lying. <laughs> so now, I mean, why do you think I'm just completely honest about everything right. about me? Because right. I used to get whooped. <laughs> 
No, our grandma used to always say, you see my eyes turning black? Yeah. Now both of ours do. <laughs> they get darker when we're mad. Mm-hmm. Our eyes get darker and our necks get real red. <laughs> yeah, they do. I start breaking out if I start getting really upset. Hives and yeah. stuff. And I start using big words. <laughs> you can always tell when he gets mad because all you do is watch his neck. Yeah. His neck and his upper chest will get real red. And then I'm like, oh, he's, he's getting mad. mad. We were talking about something when we went to Vegas a long time ago. And I'm like, oh, we need to quit talking about this because it's going to be good. I know what happens when his, his neck starts turning red. If my neck turns red and I stop talking, it's better just to run. <laughs> so I'm thinking of ways of what I'm going to do to you. And you won't like <laughs> Speaking of Vegas, we all have gone on a lot of trips together, mm-hmm. and I wondered, where have we gone that has been your favorite place? Death Valley. Death Valley for Josh. Yeah, even though I got dehydrated and almost died, <laughs> it was so... Uh, Literally living up to the name, yeah. Death Valley. It was really cool, and Death Valley is a cool place. I have been there three times. It's like being on Mars. It yeah, it's amazing. seriously out of this world. It's really, really cool. Especially... I had never been to a desert of any type. Yeah. So just to be somewhere so large without like forest and trees. Right. And like, oh, it's so pretty in the little right. fish, the adult pupfish or dogfish, somewhere yeah. like that. Yeah, a little tiny. Fish. Yeah. I tasted the water too. It was real salty. Uh. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, it said I brackish. It, no, it said brackish. I'm like, how salty? It's in the middle of a desert. How? Oh. Uh. <laughs> I wouldn't taste it. Ooh. It's probably why I got sick. It was probably. <laughs> probably is. Probably had some weird bacteria or something. It was fun. And then it also, I was on high alert the whole time because I had researched what snakes were in the, uh, in that oh, area. Lord. Well, they blend in so well in a desert. So I'm like, okay, what do I have to look for? Okay, that one's got little spines. So right. Know your enemy. Mm-hmm. I'm deathly afraid of snakes. So I try to learn about them. I think that... The one place that I love the most, just the three of us, had to have been the Grand Canyon. Mm. Just because it does not look real. You can stand there and look at it all day, and it just doesn't look real. It looks like a painting. Right. It's a lot colder than I was prepared for. But my favorite trip that Josh didn't go on, it was just us and a couple other people, was Same Studios. Yeah, I would probably list that as probably one of my favorites, too. Sun Studios. Sun Studios was... Mind-blowing. I think, and what made it the coolest is that we were able to record a podcast there, a history podcast. And knowing that all of those great people had been, you know, there was an X where Elvis had stood when we recorded. And it was just, it was amazing. Yeah. And that, I mean, not only just, not only recording a podcast, but we were recording a podcast with the people who ran the studio. Right. And experienced what it was like to be in the space. So we were talking not only about the history of the place, but what it was like to work there and feel the energy. Mm-hmm. And But one of the things I loved about being there was the audio engineer who was there with us that day, when he was helping us put all the equipment down and putting all the mics together and stuff, everywhere we went, all the other places we visited on that trip, he was so anal about making sure that everyone's phone was on silent. We were all being aware of how quiet we were when recording was happening. Clearing our throats, coughing, you know. And while we were recording the podcast in Sun Studio, he is in the background 
doing a little live video talking and i look up because i hear because i'm gonna skin you alive yeah just like right now i'm wearing headphones so all i can hear is what is being fed through this mic right so if there's background noise the only way that i can hear it is if a mic is picking it up so we're all talking there's four of us we're all having this thick conversation in the center of sun studio right and kim is in the background taking pictures you know She's been real quiet. All of a sudden, I hear this weird noise of like someone talking in the distance. And I'm like, what is that? But I'm trying to like pay attention and listen to the two right, people but we're it's talking distracting. to. Yeah. So I'm like looking around and all of a sudden I look up and he has his phone in the background, just like swinging it wide and Shane, talking. <laughs> Shane shoots me this glance like, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I went running around yeah. and I'm like, would you knock it off? <laughs> Hey, dummy. <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, don't. <laughs> like his senses suddenly came to that, you know. Oh. He was geeking out crap. real bad. Yeah. I give you praise, Kim, because you travel a lot with Shane. He's the easiest person to travel with. You're so easygoing and just nonchalant. Like you, mm. you don't care where we eat, what we do. We could sit in the hotel lobby all day, which you do often. <laughs> and he is happy as mm-hmm. a bee, but... You try to travel with two other straight men, and <laughs> one's anal and the other one's super anal. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how I did it. I really don't because you there was a lot of crocheting. Times, yeah, that helped me a lot because that's what I did in the car. Oh, there I was, was always of, there was a lot of tension. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I bet. And I don't know how many times I would look at Shane and I'm like, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him. And so you know, people come from different backgrounds. One of the people who was there with us on that trip, he came from kind of a better background, who was used to eating at better places. Local. Kim is used to, you know, cheap and quick. Whatever you can find when you're out of town. Just like her sex life. Cheap (laughs) Cheap and quick. quick. (laughs) Non-existent. Exactly. (laughs) So so we had just finished a day of doing a bunch of recording episodes for the history show. And we were all very tired. It was very late. We were were in Memphis. We were in Memphis. And the guy, he wanted to find a place to eat. And so he had suggested... You know, a bunch of these more expensive local sit down like place hipster. And this yeah. was at ten o'clock. This was yeah. after we finished at Sun Studios. Yeah, we were supposed to be there for an hour, and it ended up being what two and a half hours oh, yeah. or like we that. Were there for a long Something time. like that. We were there a really long time, and that wasn't our first interview that day. Ooh. So anyway, so Kim is exhausted, you know, and so she's like, "Hey guys, why don't you just run through a drive-through real quick?" grab me a sandwich, and drop me back off at our Airbnb. And then you guys can go get whatever you want. It was 10 o'clock. I hadn't (laughs) ate. I needed to take my medication. I'm diabetic. And I'm like, this is turning really bad really quick. I could just feel it, you know. Yeah, You're making it harder than it needs to be. Yeah. And oh boy, but they were button heads. But you did end up eating with us, didn't you? I did. We didn't. Well, we ended up finding a place that was right close. Yeah. And... Well, we went to one and it was closed. So we're like, there's an Applebee's or something, you know, and we're like, let's just go there. Just something. Let's do it and get it over. No change. We were leaving. I know, right? We were leaving first thing in the morning. I mean, like early in the morning because there was snow coming in. So we were trying to hurry up and rush to get away from the snow. And so the place that he had picked wasn't open. We 
let's just go here. And he's like, no, 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 let's go here. Well, the second place that he picked, thank God, they were open and they were not busy. Oh, and yeah. I was They're like, closing. it's a good thing because somebody was about to get killed. <laughs> I think my the funnest trip we all three went on, I loved Gettysburg. That mm. one was just a good yes, time. that was, was a lot of fun. Yeah. There was not a bad time at all. Mm-mm. It yeah. was just such a fun, we left the night a snowstorm started. So like our families here were like, we got buried. We're like, not us. <laughs> Later. One of the things I loved about Gettysburg is that during the little audio tour that we listened to in the car as we were driving around, it talked about how one of the most frequently asked questions is how during the Civil War, why all the monuments didn't have yeah. bullet fragments and bullet holes in it. And the Ugh. the people always have to say, well, those were built here after the war. <laughs> it, it would be so hard not to, you dumb. Yeah, it would be. Bless your heart. That's where that phrase probably uh-huh. was invented. Well, bless your heart. I'd really you like didn't to drive, go back. Did you? <laughs> yeah, that was I would really like to go back. I didn't. Yeah. I mean, we were nicer. only being able to. Yeah, we were only be able to be there for a day because yeah. we had done been in Hershey, Pennsylvania, the day before. Yeah, and we had that concert, and we yeah. got to see Winona. Yeah, we got to be. Uh, we met Winona. And I got we're, my picture taken with her. Did we tell me. you, Josh? Dead we got to, to meet me. Winona. <laughs> Dead. She had her arm around me, Josh. And her arm around me. Mm. Oh. I'm sure she remembers you both. She does. she does. We text. <laughs> I'm sure We're she BFFs. does. I have no doubt in my mind she remembers. She probably me. always remembers that really, really tall guy. Probably. She's, she's really, bought, really good. She's in her mind. You're the strangest lesbian couple she's ever come across. <laughs> I'm not sure who was the, who's the top. Do, is, do lesbians have top mm. and bottom? <laughs> No, but it was a very fun concert, it I was. thought. Yeah. And Hershey, Pennsylvania was really fun. Uh, yeah. We interviewed the Hershey Foundation and we made a history episode for that. So it was overall a really good trip. So we've yeah, been, Josh, to, we've been to some great places. Mm-hmm. And for me not to pick man. for me not to pick the Biltmore as being my favorite place that we've gone is saying a lot mm-hmm. because I had wanted to go to the Biltmore ever since I could remember. Right. And then when we went for our history podcast, yeah. we actually drove up to the back door of the yeah. mansion. And okay. we're like, we were like freaked I out. I couldn't remember too. what that was. The yeah. largest home. I'd in never heard of it until you guys went yeah. there. Oh, man. We were, so somebody had met us at the gate and was going to show us where to go. And so we're following them and we're just watching and we're like, oh, here's the house, you know, and was it going? snaked out and snaked around. And all of a sudden we turned this corner and right there was the house. <laughs> and we went into the back. It's It was a bricked area yeah. right off the back of the house. And we're like, oh, my and God. And normally if you go there, you have to park in these parking lots and then you have to walk, walk a mile. I remember you really saying far. that. And you're like, are we allowed to go this? <laughs> yeah. It was really cool just to be able to – I mean, we literally – I parked inches didn't you Next say the they during one of the wars they hit like yeah the, World War Two yeah. they were afraid that the Nazis were going to invade Washington D.C. and take a bunch of the artwork that was there, so the Biltmore allowed D.C. to hide a bunch of the artwork within the walls of the Biltmore. It's crazy. Yeah, so that's what we did the hometown history episode on. We worked with the curator, the head curator okay. there. So we recorded the entire episode at a picnic table behind the Biltmore. Beautiful setting. Oh, my gosh. It was was so pretty. 
It was gorgeous. so so pretty. Ruins every other recording after that. <laughs> I mean, you just don't get better. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was really really cool. And then afterwards, they're like, "Here's a ticket, so you guys can walk through. Just go ahead and just jump the line and get in and walk through the whole place." I'll make a list of the pictures that are goes with the places oh, yeah. that we've talked about, so we can put yeah. them on Patreon. And we'll also publish some of them on Instagram. So if you aren't a Patreon, that you guys can still see them too. Yeah. If anybody listening has any works with Bridgerton or the Golden Age <laughs> show, and they want to do a Biltmore series, we will all three work in it. There you go. Yeah. A detective came and knocked on the door. And I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to Season 2 of Proof wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. But no, we have been to some really fun places. So I just got to thinking yesterday. I was like, I wonder what their favorite places that we've been to has been. Death Valley's been my favorite place I've been to so far, but Gettysburg was my favorite trip. I do think that we need to go back to the West Coast sometime. And I would love to bring you guys to see... The Redwoods. Yes. I want to see the Sequoias. They have an albino Redwoods in those park. They're a completely albino Redwood, and they're parasitic. Since they can't photosynthesize, they leach onto nearby trees' roots and suck the nutrients. I just learned that yesterday. (laughs) That's why... I, ever since you went to Redwoods, I've been like, that's on my bucket list yeah. now. And I was like, albino one, that'd be cool as hell. The crazy, the crazy thing about the Redwoods is that when you get there, the trees are so massive. It feels like you're in Avatar. Okay. Makes like you you're feel just, tiny. Yeah, you're just like, oh my God, this is out of this world. I'm not on Earth anymore. I felt like that at Death Valley. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. when yeah. we went up into the Rockies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rocky Town. I, yep. I do want to go to that yeah. one state park you went to, uh, Crater Lake. Is that it? Yeah. The one with the huge. The, the National deep, Park. Yeah. Crater Lake. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's in Oregon. That that would be another, and it's just right north of the Redwoods. Oh, so sure. you just hit that on your way up. Yeah, Two it's birds, all part of trip. the trip. Yeah, I don't have plans for February. And we could go <laughs> and visit one of our first listeners who has always been listening. Her name is Michelle. She'll be listening to this. Hey, Michelle. Yeah, that's true. We could go see her. Yeah, she's up there in that same area, Washington. Yeah, we can stop by and have tea. There we go. Have a cuppa. Have a cuppa. But yeah, those they have some really good national parks over there. I was always so mad that you guys had done all of that stuff, going to all those cool places after we'd been to Vegas. Josh and I came home, and then the three of you guys went. Right. And I was always so mad because I wanted to go all of those cool places and stuff. And it's a good thing I didn't go, though somebody might have died. Yeah. (laughs) I was at my limit. Like I said, Shane doesn't ever bother me, but... Those other two straight boys. <laughs> I just, I'm not used to being around straight people mm. all the time, and it's exhausting. <laughs> That's why you got Cam Josh. I know. <laughs> well, women are different. I've always been a surround myself with women type of person. So have I. Even in elementary school, nobody thought I was gay back then. You were always around girls. I'm like, yeah, they were my friends. <laughs> I'm the one giving them bubble gum and nail files. <laughs> All right, Josh, you want to give us your mystery? Yes. And bear with me, because some of these names, like always. Well, we have a rule here at Mystery Inc. We can't pick easy names. Oh, no, that's too simple. It's too simple. (sighs) (laughs) First word of his mystery. Can't pronounce it. (laughs) The. It's like (laughs) dialogue. The ancient, well, I wrote three different scripts at the same time. So in my head, I was like, okay, which one is this again? (laughs) (laughs) The ancient and mysterious city of Nanmadal lies on a chain of small islands in the Western Pacific called Ponape. Either that or Pompeii, but that sounded too much like the Greek one. Mm. The city constructed in a lagoon consists of a series of small artificial islands linked by a network of canals. The name Nanmadal means within the intervals and refers to the canals that crisscross them. It was the ceremonial and political seat of the Saldilaire dynasty, which united Pompeii's estimated population of 25,000 people until the year 1628. Set apart between the main island of Pompeii and Temwin Island, It was a scene of human activity as early as the 1st or 2nd century. By the 8th or 9th century, construction had started on the city, with the construction of the distinctive architecture beginning around 1180 AD. So as old as hell. (laughs) In layman's terms. Almost as old as Kim. (laughs) Rude. I had to throw it in there. I I looked right at you. The ancient city was built using huge basalt and coral boulders that created stone palaces, temples, tombs, and residential homes. But the mystery is who or what built it. The boulders used were not found on any of the small islands that the city was on and weighed several tons each. They all had to be brought over from one of the larger islands, but the only available mode of transportation the locals had were bamboo canoes. There is a legend 
about how the huge city was built, and we all know I love a good legend. <laughs> According to legend, Nanmadal was constructed by two twin sorcerers named Oleshipa and Oloshopa from the mythical western Katu. The brothers arrived in a large canoe seeking a place to build an altar to worship their god of agriculture. And I ain't about to pronounce that name because it's a lot of consonants next to each other, and I don't know how to do that. (laughs) After several false starts, the two brothers successfully built an altar where they performed rituals. In legend, these brothers levitated huge stones with the aid of their flying dragon. When Oleshopa died of old age, Oleshopa became the first leader, and he then married a local woman and sired 12 generations, producing 16 other rulers. The site consists of a series of artificial islets on a coral reef, linked by a network of the canals, and it covers an area of 4,416 acres. So it's humongous. Nanmadal was the ceremonial center of the dynasty, but also served to control the populace by requiring all high-status nobles and potential rivals to live within the city and govern their own areas from that central location. They also had, like, servants and stuff living there, but you know how it goes. Gotta have the, <laughs> gotta have the servants. The city thrived until 1628 when a semi-mythical hero warrior from the island of Kosre conquered the dynasty and established his own. And Nanmadal finally became abandoned due to the lack of fresh water, since there was no fresh water source anywhere on the islands All food and water had to be transported from one of the larger main islands around 25 miles away. So eventually they, let's just move to where there's water. (laughs) Its population almost certainly did not exceed 1,000 people and may have been less than half of that. Today, Nanmadal forms an architectural district covering more than 6.9 square miles and includes the stone architecture built up on the reef flat along the shore of Temwen Island. Altogether, the islets that make up Nanmadal total 92, and I said it was 4,000-something units of measurement large. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're American, and we use one, and the rest of the world uses another, and I forget what they're called sometimes. Carbon dating indicates the megalithic construction at Nanmadal began around 11 AD, when the stones were taken from a volcanic plug on the opposite side of Ponape, as I said, 25 miles away. And some of the stones used weighed up to 50 tons each. The people who built the city had no access to pulleys, metal tools, or anything aside from their small bamboo canoes and stone tools. An estimated total of 750,000 metric tons of basalt stones were moved to build the city. All with no tools and no way to get them there. The earliest settlement was probably around 1 AD, although radiocarbon dating shows human activity starting at around 80 AD. 
And there is even another legend that says that the city was built in a single night by a tribe of mysterious giants. And today the site is considered to still be inhabited by spirits. And there is even a curse on anyone who dares to disturb it. And the locals now call it Ghost City. There was even a team from National Geographic that tested how Nanmadal was created. They used the same tools and small boats that the original inhabitants would have had at the time in an attempt to move all the stones. But in every attempt they made, no matter how small the rock that they used, the boats would always sink. Today, Nanmadal is revered and feared by locals. They usually keep clear of the city of ghosts out of that fear. And those brave enough to venture among the canals and ruins are often faced with some kind of mysterious retribution. Hence the curse. (laughs) Do you think the first inhabitants had some kind of unknown technology to help them build the city? Or are you like me and prefer to believe in the magic of two twin wizards and their flying dragon? Sounds like a good Harry Potter movie right there. I would watch the hell out of that. And I have Harry a, Potter. I have a little bit more about the legends and testing that has been done on non Madal, but I'll save that for Unwrapped. Because okay. if I put it in the episode, I wouldn't have had nothing for Unwrapped <laughs> or Unmasked, Unwrapped. I'm unwrapped. thinking of the Food Network unwrapped. show. <laughs> Listen, I used to watch the hell out of Unwrapped. I still do sometimes. It's like how it was made, but with our favorite snacks. Oh, you still love to watch how it was made. Oh, it's on YouTube. I'll I watch it if I can't fall asleep at night. Mm-hmm. Turn on. Oh yeah, I'll fall right to sleep. Kim, have you watched any of the Harry Potter movies? Just the first one. Trash. I, I know. Trash. She used to have never watched them. Uncultured swine. <laughs> <laughs> Just haven't been able to get into it. I guess I didn't. They're perfect I, Christmas I, movies. I don't I, remember what I was doing when I had the first one on too, so I didn't pay a whole lot of attention Lord. to it because I was doing something. I just watched all of them. The, this month so far, I watch. Oh, I start them. the first one usually at the beginning of December. It's my Christmas. Love them. Well, I've been here lately. I've been trying to get through that Prince Harry book. So I've oh been yeah, listening to that book a lot. Every person who's not in the U.S. right now is rolling their eyes <laughs> at you, Kim. <laughs> Probably, especially. I mean, it's the not, English people. It's not that great. I finished <laughs> Britney Spears's autobiography and Miriam Margulies. Now I'm reading Sarah Millikan's. Mm. I love it. She's my one of my favorite comedians. I've almost put this one down and said, no, can't do no more of it, <laughs> at least twice. But I'm 10 hours invested in it, so there's <laughs> only five left. <laughs> there's only like five left. <laughs> it's on my list, but honestly, I could care less what. Yeah. It's not anything that you will like. Oh, I, yeah. I really don't think you, that you will like it. I used to think he was cute when I was younger, like out of the two brothers. He was the one I thought was the cute one. But now I'm Doesn't like, mean you want to read his book. Right. I'm like, that woman wasted. She literally became a princess and wasted that opportunity <laughs> over my dead body. Would I throw that away? I'm like, yeah, I will do what you want. You can call <laughs> me a whatever you want. And just, I'm a princess. That's all I need. <laughs> You heard it here, Harry. Harry. I'm a good cook. (laughs) I bet she can't make fried chicken and gravy like I can. 
Your wife know. says my fried chicken's the best. I know. It is really that's a, good. That's a high compliment to me. <laughs> You're going to have to make me some chicken then. I've not, I don't think I've ever had yours. It's really good. Were you not at the cabin down south when we all? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, it was real good. I remember now. All right, guys. So my mystery today deals with the grandson and heir of John Jameson. Do you know who that is? From Jameson Irish Whiskey. Okay, oh. I'll, I was about okay. to say the only yeah. thing I know is the whiskey. Right. Yeah, his name was James Jameson. James Jameson. Yeah. So James was born in 1856, and as I said, he was the grandson to the famous John Jameson. Rich. Yeah, they were rich. He was born into a lineage marked by success and prestige. He was, of course, the heir to the Jameson Irish whiskey fortune, a brand that was and still to this day is known worldwide. It's all right. I've never had it. I'm not an alcohol drinker. I don't think I've ever had it. I've never had it. Because of this, he was afforded with opportunities and privileges that were pretty rare during that time, but it was all because of him being a part of this family. Hmm. As he grows up, he lives and he breathes. The business of whiskey distilling. His entire family is deeply rooted in it because it's not just a source of wealth for them, but it's also their social standing. So you kind of mm-hmm. can understand it. The Jameson name was synonymous with quality and success in Ireland and beyond. He received a high quality education as a child, befitting someone of his status. His wealth and his status exposed him to a world of culture, arts, and possibly the burgeoning interest in exploration and natural sciences. Hmm. This was very prominent during the Victorian era, which was the area of this time. This era was when many people were fascinated with the exotic and the undiscovered. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. There was a strong interest in exploration with Africa being a key focus of European explorers and colonialists. As an adult, James had a strong artistic side. This could be seen in his sketches and in his paintings. He often sketched and painted the exotic and the unknown, which again was a common interest with everyone at the time. And his art was his medium of choice that he used to document his experiences and the world around him. James also was driven by a sense of adventure. Many Europeans saw exploring uncharted territories as not only exciting, but also as a sort of romantic way to carve out your own identity. Colonial white devils. Yes. In 1887, James joined the Emin Pasha Relief Expedition. Now, this expedition was launched to rescue Emin Pasha, He was the governor of Equatoria, which isn't a place anymore, as you can tell. This was a province in southern Sudan. Basically, the government had fallen out of control of Egypt, and this group was in charge of rescuing the governor that they had assigned down there. Now, hundreds and hundreds of people were sent in this expedition. Initially, when I had discovered this mystery— I thought that it was just this small group of people that went 
and the more that I read into it, I realized that there were hundreds of people. <laughs> and like, this is a lot. Yeah. Jeez. Like eight, 800, 900 people That's were on this army. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It was like an army. So James was likely motivated to join because he probably had a sense of adventure because this would give him an opportunity to explore and document unknown regions of Africa. Like, how fun, he probably thought. Sounds snaky. I know, we wouldn't have done Mm -hmm. it. It was during this expedition that led to one of the most notorious and controversial episodes in the history of European exploration in Africa. That's saying something. Yeah, and if you guys haven't said anything about knowing what I'm talking about, then you guys have probably never heard about this before. There are several different versions of this story, but the event took place in the Congo. And that part is known, that it took place in the Congo. The primary allegation was from the interpreter, Assad Faran. So he said that James had expressed a morbid curiosity about cannibalism, mm. which had been rumored. Look <laughs> how Josh, you said that. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I just was not expecting that. <laughs> like, I was like, a oh. morbid curiosity about cannibalism. Mm. I, was, I was like expecting like, and then they were attacked and murdered. And yeah. I was not expecting about cannibalism to come out of your mouth. <laughs> that was <laughs> so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Long pig, go on. <laughs> so Assad, Assad <laughs> said that James was expressing during this trip a morbid curiosity about cannibalism, which had been rumored to be practiced by certain tribes or native people in the area. According to Assad, James asked whether certain practices were real, and if so, if he could witness it. And I'm talking about a specific incident that James is asking people about this. Assad claims that James then paid for a girl in handkerchiefs. <laughs> Josh, your mouth is so wide right now. And then witnessed the process <gasps> of the girl being killed and then eaten. Oh my God. James did write. About the incident. Because at first when I saw that, I was like, oh, this Assad guy was butthurt about something. Right. Lion, sneaky guy. This people-eating white Irish man. Yeah, this rich man. You know, so that's what I thought. And then I was like, then I found James's diary that had been published about the whole, his whole, yeah, his whole trip was published, right? Found it and I read it. It's 300-something pages. I read the whole thing. The whole thing. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. The whole thing I've read. No it. wonder I don't hear from you. <laughs> I haven't I heard know. much from you in the evening. That's because I've been reading it. <laughs> it's, no, it was really interesting. But anyway, so James did write about this incident in his diary. And he said that he thought that it was all a joke. And when they started to kill the girl, it was, quote, the most horribly sickening sight I am ever likely to see in my life. I bet. Now, he did sketch the incident in his diary. He did a lot of sketches in his diary. This is of the, the worst things thing I've ever seeing. seen. Let why? me draw it. Yeah. Why? And it's sketched. I'm telling you what. If you are a person who 
likes to look up stuff on the internet, don't look this up. It is the image of it is as bad as what you probably think it could be. So he was like you a still good see sketch it. artist. I mean, he was an artist. Oh. But just the, the thought of seeing people kill a girl. I think I believe she's eleven. Ugh. Yeah, that wasn't a that was a little girl. Yeah. That wasn't a, an yeah. adult. They kill her. Oh my god! And he sketched it between six photos of them killing her, ripping her up, and then yeah, it was oh uh, the image. Yeah, it's bad. That makes me want to go throw up. Yeah. So the leader, the leader of the expedition, his name was Henry M. Stanley. So Henry never addressed Josh's covering up a shirt that has a skeleton on it. <laughs> it says judgment, and I'm judging this man. Yeah. It's a, what? what is the shirt? It's, it's a, a tarot card, the judgment card. That's right. And that's because you're judging. Not mm, judgment. Okay. Well, Josh, you're going to give us your judgment at the end of this mystery because that's the, the mystery. <laughs> the mystery is who's telling the truth. Okay. That's the whole mystery. So, the leader of the expedition, Henry Stanley, he never addresses the event publicly. So, he never says one way or the other what happened. Okay. Other members who were there, some of them say, oh, Assad is correct. And other people say, that never happened. Well, they just don't want to be tied to it. Oh, I'm sure. So, Assad, his belief is that, you know, James purposely does this. James says, oh, it was all misunderstanding, cultural misunderstanding. And the other people who were there are either tight-lipped, don't say anything, or they say it didn't happen, or they say Assad is correct, or they say James is right. So, but, I mean... You're talking about hundreds of people, and they can't come up with a consensus? Mm-hmm. Oof. <sighs> See, okay. you only travel with people you know. <laughs> so, James returns home, okay, after this incident. He's very sick when he returns home, and he ends up dying. Oh, darn. And... Uh-huh. <laughs> He ends up dying because of likely a disease he picked up in the Congo. They were there for like two years, right? And a lot of people in the outfit died in the Congo and also when they come back from disease got, and everything. Hope he got necrotizing fleshyitis <laughs> of the dick. <laughs> now, it's possible, like I said, he got a disease while he was on his trip. So now, Ferran, the interpreter, the one who came out against James. Now, initially, I thought that he didn't initially say anything about the incident publicly until after James had died. Because James comes back, and he was alive for a couple months. No, 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 not a couple months. But shortly after he gets back, he dies. But I thought initially, in my initial research, that Ferran didn't say a word until after James died. But that's not the case. I found a letter that proved that Ferran must have been talking to people and that the talking got back to James. So the letter that I found, James wrote a letter to his wife. And the letter says, The reports about me coming from Assad Ferran, a distinguished interpreter, are false. If made public, stop them. So James must have had some type of idea 
that Assad was going to start saying something or he started to talk publicly or there was some type of disagreement within the group that Assad said, well, if you don't do this, like in my mind, he may have blackmailed. That could have been a possibility. Mm. So somehow James had an idea that Assad was going to start saying something for him to write that letter back to his wife. A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask... Did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. So James dies. And shortly after he dies, Ferran gives an interview with a paper in London. And he talked about how Mr. Jameson was an interested and non-protesting spectator when the incident occurred. He said, when the poor woman was sentenced to this fate, Mr. Jamison got them to postpone it for a moment so he could get his sketching material so he could sketch it. Which, of course, like everyone got real upset about it. The New York Times and the U.S. did an article about it. You know, so like the whole world was up in arms and Mr. James had already died, so he couldn't defend himself. So shortly after that, there's a retraction made that was printed in the same paper in London. Now, the retraction was made by a member of parliament, a signed member of parliament, and the signed member of parliament said, hey, I'm a member of parliament. This is my name. I was present when Ferran confessed to me that he fabricated this story about Jameson because he was angry about being fired from the outfit. I don't believe these rich white people one bit, <laughs> one ounce. So then, two years later, on November 14th, 1890, 
The Times of London then publishes another article. This one was written and signed by Ferran. He said that Jameson was very anxious to see a man killed and eaten by cannibals and was able to figure out how to have it done by paying for it. Then, the next day, the same paper in London published a letter that James's widow, Ethel, which is also our grandma's middle name, provided. It was supposed to have been written by James two weeks before he died. The letter said that he was horrified of the murder and the mutilation of the girl. He said he didn't sketch the murder scene until later. He said it came about because he had been dismissing the accuracy of the stories that he was hearing about cannibalism. He didn't think they were true. He said he told a man who was present that he did not believe it could happen in any country of this world. The man laughed and said, give me a bit of cloth and see. And of course, cloth, he's meaning handkerchiefs. Mm. James said that he thought this was just a plan to get something out of him. But he felt like he already owed the guy because he had already treated him well. He already did a lot of stuff Mm. for him. So he didn't see a problem with going ahead and paying him. Anyway. (laughs) That's how, you know what's funny in his diary? Because like I said, I read it. In his diary, he did give handkerchiefs as payment to people. He called these people Arabs and like tribal people. That cheap SOB. (laughs) You know what's funny is the way that I was interpreting it, it seems two things that that I'll say. One is, you know, your currency in an area is whatever you make it out to be. Yeah. So you have a really nice cloth. Could have been like silk handkerchief. I'm thinking like yeah. are a Well, one of the stories he talked about in like page 150, I don't know. He talked about at night he would use handkerchiefs to cover his face because the mosquitoes were horrible out there. And it allowed the cloth, because of how thin it was, mm-hmm. it was breathable. Okay. So it would keep the mosquitoes away from his face. So I don't know if that's why these handkerchiefs were so valuable to the tribe people. They didn't have nothing, you know, anything to keep the mosquitoes or, or any any cloth that was breathable like that. So maybe that's why this cloth became a currency, okay, among people who didn't have a currency, you know, because I mean, you're talking about There's trade, no, you can't go to the bank and back yeah. then, and <laughs> yeah, so you're talking, yeah, yeah, so so that's just my opinion. So that's just what I gathered from reading his diary. Yeah, I was thinking like our family, a handkerchief's just an old rag. But I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah this is a money person. That's right. probably silk or something. So anyway, so he thought, well, you know, the guy's probably playing me, but I owe him anyway because he's treated me really well anyway. So he went ahead and gave him the handkerchiefs. Then he said what followed was the most horrible scene in his life that he ever witnessed. Then he said the whole thing that followed happened so quickly that even if he wished, he wouldn't have been able to have sketched it. He said that all of his sketching stuff was at his house, the place that he was staying. The small sketches he made, the six sketches, they were made afterwards, later that day after he returned to his house. And he also wrote in that same letter that he wasn't sure how the girl had been obtained. In his diary, he talks about the girl, she was a slave, and the people who killed her and consumed her, they were also slaves. The guy who he had paid, 
he was calling this person an Arab, I believe. So this person ruled over them or something like that. So it was their master telling a slave to kill this other slave because I mean, he paid their no. Yeah. So it was just a very weird scenario that he talks about in this diary. Oh. So also included in the letter that his wife had included was a signed retraction from Ferran from September of 1888. And it read, I, Assad Ferran, lately interpreter with the relief expedition, declare most solemnly that the story of Mr. Jamison buying the girl has been altogether misunderstood. The story is entirely untrue, and such a charge against Mr. Jamison I declare to be unfounded. The six handkerchiefs given by Mr. Jamison were a present and had no reference whatsoever to the occurrence, and which, through the above misunderstanding, they have been erroneously connected. That letter also included the name of two witnesses that said they were there when he signed that letter. They've been paid off. <laughs> so here is another mystery. Varan tells a lot of people that James bought the slave girl so he could watch her be cannibalized. Then he quickly retracts that story. But he does it in a way that it goes against even what James says happened. So that retraction, that letter, like James never says that he he gave a gift. You know, James says that it was all a misunderstanding. He doesn't say, oh, no, the handkerchiefs were a gift. So that retraction goes against what James says happened. Then two years later, he signs another affidavit that contradicts his first retraction and outlines the original allegation against James. <laughs> so in layman terms, he's like, oh, he did it. Then he's like, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I lied. And then he's like, no, he did it. So it's... He wanted more money. <laughs> it's a lot of back and forth, back and forth. And the public just really wasn't sure like who to believe. To be honest with you. Not the rich white guy, I tell you. <laughs> well, the problem was, is like, you know, Assad was also being paid to be there. So, and you don't know how much Assad was being paid to give those interviews either. Right. So, you know. Dear Lord. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Well, my money's on the guy did it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something a, a crazy rich white man of, you know, Especially back then when you could get away with a lot more. Right. Like, mm. Yeah, unfortunately, also, too, James was dead at the time when all this stuff was coming forward. So he couldn't defend himself and say any more part to his story. The only thing that was there was the letter that his wife provided and his journal. So after all this started coming out with the printing, right after she gives this letter to be printed, she starts working on printing his journal. Now, what we know of the journal that I read, and I'll include a link for the journal on Patreon and in the show notes for the episode, but his journal is printed, but it's not handwritten. And so there is the opportunity for it to have been edited. So I worry that, you know, someone, his wife or some other person could have gone through and changed to make his you know, this scenario of what happened sound better. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a possibility. You don't want a scandal in the family. Huh? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So that that's one thought that I had when I read through the incident of what happened. James was clear in his letter and in the journal that this was all just a big misunderstanding and a miscommunication. So the question and the mystery here was, is James just this entitled rich European, happy to pay six handkerchiefs to watch, write, and draw an African slave being killed and eaten by other African slaves? Or was he simply just misunderstood by these cultural barriers and then targeted by tabloids after death just to sell copies of newspapers? Now, some historians do talk about this event, and they believe that it may have never even taken place. Good gravy. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Jamison talks about it in his journal, and Assad reports on it. But some people suggest that maybe it was a way of James and Assad and his team to portray Africa as this place is so full of savages. And how better of a way to do that than this story about how he paid just six handkerchiefs for these savage African cannibals to kill a young girl. So... That's one theory. I don't believe that theory. I don't think that he would have printed that and his wife would have printed his journals. And I think he would have seen in that moment that it would have been too big of a scandal scandal for him. So I don't think that he would have done that. Yeah. So I wanted to bring that up because that is just a a theory that that some people had about it. But yeah, I, I definitely don't believe it. That's my God. I I put money yeah. on that he did do that and just the family didn't want a scandal associated with their fortune. So they first paid off the guy to write a retraction and then I guess he probably wanted more money. So they he was like, oh, actually, he did do that. Yeah, and I have no doubt that the Jameson family would not want the bad public attention too. Right. So... If they don't want that bad publicity, what realms would they go to to try to stop it? Would they reword his diary? You know, would they try to fake signatures of Assad? Would they pressure him to sign things? I bet you wouldn't want to lose that whiskey empire. Yeah, Yeah. you know, I'm sure they had some type of public relations of some kind to know that this story would not be seen well. Right. So that journal might not even have been written by him. It could somebody else could have done it. No, his journals were written by him. Yeah. That is pretty well known. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of people who were there in the expedition. If he didn't write them himself, someone would have said so. Everyone, you know, would have seen him writing the journals and sketching. You know, he was an artist. And almost all the pages, not all the pages, but there are lots of sketches of people, of artifacts, of rivers that he was including in his journal of everything that he was seeing. So in the Amassed episode, I'm going to read the journal entry so that you can see kind of what led up to the event and kind of get a feeling for yourself if you feel like he is more guilty. Yeah, I think we should just let people decide for themselves to hear it. But it is a little, um, 
a little unmasked because it is a cannibal story. But, yeah, it is a crazy story. The only thing I can think of is that poor baby. I know. That's why I I just, I can't imagine. 11 years old and you know that you're helpless as you're Mm -hmm. about to be murdered and become someone's food. Right. And there's just nothing you can do to stop it. Like, oh, bless her heart. Right. I hope she at least gave him diarrhea or something that they did. Like, I hope she somehow, her, they got their come ups, come up. You know, you know what's weird is, I think for me, the fact that he sketched it. That's really weird. You know, it's one thing to write about it, but then to sketch it too. I think that's the weird part. Like, I would think that if he was that adamant about how he didn't want them to do it you wouldn't be sketching no you wouldn't be sketching it you would try to get it out of your mind and you wouldn't want those mental pictures that you have why would you sketch it i would have gone on a long walk like i didn't see nothing yeah i was walking another reason the historians pointed to the possibility of this not being a true story is because the leader of the expedition he is believed So one of the things the expedition was also doing, you know, they were trying to rescue the man who was down in the southern part of Africa. But also on the side, they were going through and talking to all these tribes, trying to get them to sign basically their land over to England, basically. Right. And England's good at these treaties. Yeah. So a lot of these treaties they now believed were faked, they were forged, or these tribes didn't know what they were signing you know right and we even seen that here in the u.s a lot of native people were forced to sign or they didn't sign you know they were they were forged so some of those documents were forged but some people believe that this scenario that was written about was a way of like some type of propaganda that could have possibly been used later on right as a way of saying this place is so savage, filled. They need a cannibal. Help. Yeah, they need mm-hmm. to be educated and taught that this isn't the way to be civilized. They need to have tea yeah. instead of. <laughs> yeah. So that is, you know, a theory. And I see their point in it, but I still think that that's such an extreme story to write about. Right. But yeah, I don't think that he should have sketched it. I, that's a little weird to me. For him just to include the sketch. Yeah, but. that's what like kind of nails it in where I'm like, it sounds like he did it. Because if you're sketching it, that's like, a, oh, I want to remember this. Like, yeah. Right. This is something that I... Ugh. Yeah, like how far is your morbid curiosity that you... I think my feeling is that maybe he... I don't think that it was so... so like. My my pendulum swings sometimes. Like sometimes I think, okay, you know, I can see a cultural misunderstanding. Right. Because sometimes I have that. If I speak to someone and we don't speak the same language, but even if they do speak some English, there is some type of cultural difference there. So there's, a, there's some type of misunderstanding. Like when I was in Germany, I was speaking to someone who was speaking English to me, but it wasn't their first language. And we had a lot of misunderstandings. When my friend Maya was in town, I said the first time she speaks English, but I said the words, I said I had diarrhea of the mouth and she looked at me like I was very sick, (laughs) you know, 
So there, there are times when there are misunderstandings because of different cultural or language barriers. You have to be very literal. <laughs> yeah. So I can see that part of it. But the thing that just gets me, I guess, is that he sketched it. Yeah. And I know that when you are someone who is so into the curiosity side of it and you want to be, you know, out there and doing a good job at your sketches and your writing – I, I think he just went too far, and I think, in all honesty, my opinion is that he did do it. Like, he paid for it to be done, but as it was being done, he realized his mistake. Mm-hmm. He realized, like, oh, This crap. isn't what I fantasized about. Yeah, right. like, this is real. This is a human. And then he just went ahead and went on with it, you know? Like, okay, well, that— There once, was no way he could stop it then. Yeah, once she was killed, then— he got over the fact that she was human and okay, that's over with. Let's move on from it. And I'm just going to go ahead and sketch it out. I think that's what happened in my opinion, but if, I, I don't know, you know, unless, unless we actually got a copy of his actual journal that was handwritten, maybe that would give us a better understanding. And I, I have a hard time believing they would throw that sucker away. Right. You know, I think that Jamison. The family has that sucker somewhere. It's in the safe. Yeah. And in my thought process, I'm thinking if I really wanted to clear his name, I would just have given off. Like, I would have printed a print of that, you know? Right. I want to see the journal plus other documents that he's handwritten himself yeah. so I can compare Because the if you have the hand-typed one, we know that it was edited. Yeah. So I want to see what he actually wrote. In person while he was there. Write it down. We'll ask him when we do the slumber party with the Ouija. <laughs> there we go. What'd you do? <laughs> if you say yes, I'm going to exercise your ass right here and now. <laughs> Got my white candles and crystals and Palo Santo. We're going to send you to hell. We're going to have to figure out when we're going to do that, too. I might yeah, just we'll conveniently forget to close the portal when we're done <laughs> see what fun we can have with Kim. And there we go. Josh, you get any visitors? You. I will knock you out, Joshua. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. I'd send them to my house. <laughs> Put them to work. They can make a light flicker. They can pick up a mop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh. Who is your bless your heart today? Oh, yeah, we need a little, a little something we positive little after that. Yeah, we definitely need to pick me up after my that. His name isn't James, is it? Jason. <laughs> Close. I was like, I know it starts with a J. <laughs> Today's Bless Your Heart comes from Campbell County, Kentucky. In a heartwarming turn of events, Campbell County Middle School Principal Jason Smith opened his heart and home to a troubled student, changing the rest of her life for the good. It all began when 11-year-old Raven Whitaker Smith found herself in Jason's office after an incident during lunch. Raven had thrown yogurt on a classmate, resulting in a suspension. And little did anyone know this incident would lead to an extraordinary journey of compassion and support. Raven says, I found myself in the principal's office one day after starting a food fight in the cafeteria. He asked me if I would start a food fight if I were out to dinner with my family. When I blurted out that I did not have a family... He said he felt like a complete jerk. I was a foster kid, and that conversation led him to talk to his wife. And driven by empathy, he went home and discussed it with his wife. 
and after consideration, the couple decided to open their hearts and home to Raven, welcoming her into their family. She says he and my mom went through training and became certified to be foster parents with the intention of fostering her. They could not have kids of their own, and something I said that day led them to know in their hearts that I was what their family needed. My mom says she always questioned why she could not have kids until the day she met Raven. Raven moved in with the Smiths in June of 2015, and on November 3, 2017, they formally adopted her, who was then a high school freshman. Currently, Raven is a junior at the University of Kentucky and is studying to be a social worker. And to both Jason, Raven, and Maybeth, Jason's wife, I give you a bless your heart and thank you for having compassion and empathy for a lost girl who just needed someone to love her. That's very sweet. So that, that so. We had your 11-year-old horror story, so that was just, that worked out. Mine involved a good, positive story about an 11-year-old girl. Bless both of them. My God. I'm I wonder just, where Campbell County, Kentucky is. I don't know, but it sounds like Campbell County, Kentucky. Campbell County. Welcome Campbell to Campbell County. County. That's not where we went. For one of the Jane Doe victims? Mm-hmm. I thought about that. One of the Jane Doe victims for the Redhead murders that I did on Foul Play is Campbell County Jane Doe, mm. but... That's Campbell County, Tennessee. See. Yeah, but it's the very northern part of Tennessee, right above Knoxville. So that's why I was wondering if mm-hmm. the southern, like if it was right next to, like maybe Campbell County and Campbell County right. is right next to each other. I don't know. Not sure. Everything down there is just named after the same five <laughs> old white, rich, white guys. <laughs> right, right. All right, guys. Well, are, do we have anything else? No, I, no. I'll do our closing. Yeah. Go for it. Close it. We want to give a special thank you, Jesus, to our loyal and brilliant patrons and your exceptional taste in podcasts. We appreciate all of you and hope you enjoy us on Unmasked. Don't forget. Oh, wait, never mind. You don't have to comment anymore because we have our 10 (laughs) patrons to do our We Just Slumber Party at Kim's. But you can still follow Mystery Inc. on Instagram or join us on Patreon to hear our bonus episodes of Unmasked. That we do right after Kim and I go potty. Yeah, maybe if we get 10 more, we'll do an auction for Kim's underpanties. And if we get 20 more, I'll do it nude. <laughs> there we uh, go. We'll live stream. I'll be in my, my G-string DVD. There we, we go. We can always send them a promise. Oh, that's true. We'll, we'll, think, a... we'll think about it next time. I'll send you a nude. <laughs> and we'll have no new ones. From <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all your fault, Joshua. I said a nude of me, not you guys. <laughs> How rude. <laughs> you can find us on both platforms under at Mystery Inc. And you can also join us on Facebook at Shane and Josh's Rabbit Hole so we can interact more with you. Hit me up on my DMs. <laughs> we also have a new website, mysteryinc.com. And there you can listen to past episodes and give us ideas for future mysteries or bless your heart. And you can even see that little picture of Kimberly. Oh, it's so, so cute. So Such precious. Sure. <laughs> we just can't can't make her happy. No. She's just always complaining and wants more. I mean, we need to talk to her ex husband. I, I bet he he's the victim. He is. <laughs> I didn't even have to look at her and I got already know what face she gave. <laughs> her eyes scratched the back of her head. <laughs> 
If you enjoy listening. You're listen- number one, Josh. You're number one. <laughs> you enjoy listening to Mr. Ink. Don't forget, we are now on YouTube so you can see our lovely faces. And please join us there at Mr. Ink Podcast. And don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm hitting the right areas. <laughs> you let me know on the screen. Like and subscribe. <laughs> and until then, we'll talk at y'all next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.